So I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. It's just a little past the middle of your Bible, right after the Psalms and right before Ecclesiastes. The book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the first seven verses of that book today. Well, I don't know if you have noticed this, but life isn't always the easiest thing to figure out, is it? Life is hard. Uh, Life is complex. Uh, We have a tendency in Christendom to try to make things really black and white, and some things are. We know the Ten Commandments. We know what we're supposed to do and the things that we're not supposed to do. But especially in modern life, where where a lot of things get thrown our way that that aren't as abundantly evident to us, even as believers. How do we handle certain situations? How do we navigate uh, uh, the the issues of our time? How do we learn to understand uh, human nature and? Uh, how to deal with others, not, not to mention ourselves and our own foibles and, and, uh, and troubles. Um, so life is complex. Life is not easy to figure out sometimes. And just by way of example, let me throw some, some questions out here for you uh, to consider that we really don't find a direct answer to in our Bibles. We've got to do some digging to find the answers to questions like these. Should your teenager have a smartphone? You can't point to chapter and verse about that one. Uh, And you know what? There's pros and cons to yes, and there's pros and cons to no. So it's a difficult question. How, How do you handle the situation at work later on this week when your boss wants you to write a memo that you disagree with in some way? Not necessarily in violation of one of the Ten Commandments, not necessarily lying or cheating or anything like that, but how do you handle that as a believer? What do you do? What do you do? How do you and I understand the balance between wealth and poverty in modern American culture? And how does that balance apply to our lives? Are you and I balanced in our approach in a, in a godly way in our approach to wealth and poverty and the things that we have and the things that we don't have? And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could go on uh, all day long asking uh, these kinds of questions, questions that don't have apparent answers. And so we need the wisdom of God, don't we? It's all to say that we need the wisdom of God. We need God's wisdom as we navigate the circumstances of our lives, as we navigate a whole host of of issues that when the book of Proverbs was written, they could not even imagine. And you see, we're just not going to find chapter and verse to show us what to do in a direct sort of way. You can't can't, uh, find in your concordance whether... Uh, the, the answer to the question of whether your teenager should have a smartphone. It's just not going to be in your concordance. But praise be to God, God gave us the Proverbs. He gave us the Proverbs uh, to show us godly, practical principles and advice about how to deal with life. And so this is the, the beauty of this book of poetry, of these brilliant observations about our lives to help guide us along our way. 
You see, the book of Proverbs is all about godly wisdom. This is practical advice for real life, and that's what I love about it. That's what I love about it. I'm a kind of rubber meets the road sort of guy. Now, this wisdom that, that is revealed in the, in the book of Psalms uh, falls into a few uh, areas of wisdom. And the first is what we would call in today's vernacular common sense, which seems less and less common these days, right? Proverbs 25, 17 is a great example of this. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. In other words, don't wear out your welcome, right? Don't wear out your welcome. That's, that's very sound advice. Uh, there's also intellectual wisdom in the book of Proverbs, uh, an encouragement for us to, to be well-rounded people. King Solomon, who wrote uh, this book, uh, certainly was, was well-known for his wisdom. He was uh, the wisest man in the world. But he also had a lot of just general knowledge about a lot of things. First Kings 4.33 says he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. So he was a well-rounded guy. He knew stuff, and so should we. This gives us uh, uh, some encouragement of the kind of people we need to be. We need to be interested in life. Uh, we need to be interested in the world around us because this is the world that God has created. And so we should have a natural curiosity about things. And so likewise, Proverbs teaches us about the stuff of life. Proverbs seventeen eighteen is a good example of this. And it almost seems as if when you read this one uh, at first that it's condoning bribery, but it isn't. What Solomon is doing here is just showing us what life is like. He's showing us the way the world works. Listen to this. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. And so, you see, we need to know stuff about the way the world works, about even the way a sinner's mind works, so that we can navigate this world in a godly way. And then, of course, there's moral wisdom. This is the area of spiritual discipline, of self-control, this, this sense that we ought to have of rightness and fairness. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Proverbs thirteen three says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In other words, we need to be prudent with our speech. We need to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our words and in our silences as well. But I think probably the, the, the most important aspect of wisdom is for us to understand wisdom from the, the perspective of the ancient Hebrews. When they thought of wisdom, they thought of a craftsman. They thought of the, the skill and the knowledge of a craftsman. And this goes back to uh, when they uh, built the tabernacle and all of the fixtures of, of worship, all of the ornate and beautiful carvings that they made, all of the things that they, they made in order to worship God, these things that God had told them to, to do. And so in Exodus 23, here's an example of this. Uh, God says, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may uh, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. 
And so what this means is that you and I can learn to be as talented at life as a craftsman is at his trade. Now, I love to watch a craftsman at work because there's wisdom in their hands. There's always wisdom in their hands. We've got quite a few craftsmen uh, among us. Uh, One of them who's here somewhere today, uh, he's a deacon, is Darren Gazes. And I love to watch him paint because there's wisdom in his hands. He's the one who painted this room and the outside of this building. He just finished with the bookstore this week. Uh, he, his hands have been almost all over every surface of this building. But when you watch him work, you see how he, he holds the paintbrush in his hand. And there's wisdom in the way that he holds it. He's not just slopping paint on there, but he knows what he's doing. But he not only knows how to put paint on the wall, but he knows everything there is to know about paint and about doing a great job. And you can see that wisdom in the way that he works. And I love that. You see that, in, uh, you see that kind of wisdom in T.J. Henderson's hands as he works with wood. You see that kind of wisdom in Jeff Foley's hands as he works on a car. And you see, this is the, this is the essence of the wisdom that's being talked about in this book of Proverbs, that you and I can learn to be as talented at life as a craftsman is at his trade. That should be our goal. And so as we take a look at, at Proverbs, let's, let's look at a little bit of background. Uh, uh, we've already said that King Solomon wrote uh, most of these Proverbs, and in this book, King Solomon, of course, was the son of David, and so it's no mistake that we find Proverbs right after the Psalms of David, right after that beautiful hymn book of praise to the Lord that was largely written uh, by his dad, and so King Solomon was famous for his wisdom. Uh, we see a painting up here of, of uh, that day when he made that wise judgment about how to decide who is the real mother of a baby when two mothers were arguing over, over who was really the mother. And so Solomon was, was filled with great wisdom. It was wisdom that he asked God for and God gave it to him. But you know what? Wis- Solomon was, was like you and me. He didn't follow his own advice. He didn't follow the wisdom uh, that that came from God. And he sinned. And it seems like he was unrepentant. That he died an unrepentant sinner. You see, he he loved God, but he sinned as a lover of women. He was a polygamist. He had 700 wives. I don't even know how he lived through that. (laughs) He had 300 concubines. This is serious stuff. He was, a, he was a, a first-class sinner. And he even did something uh, that God expressly forbade him to do, and that is he married outside of the nation of Israel. He directly disobeyed God's orders. And not only that, at the end of his life, to appease his wives, he worshipped false gods. He worshipped really, really perverted gods. To worship these gods that he was worshiping, you needed to do some really, really disgusting stuff. And I won't go into detail now. But you see, he was a sinner. He was a first-class sinner. But I think we get a clue as to his heart 
when we read the closing words of Ecclesiastes, which comes right after the Proverbs. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I think Solomon loved God, but he loved God imperfectly, just like you and me. Just like you and me. And so we've got to be careful not to think, uh, as, as some do, that if we, if we die with unrepentant sin, it means that we're going to hell. Brothers and sisters, how is it that we are saved? We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And nothing can take that away. We cannot unearn our way into heaven if we have devoted our lives to Christ, if we have faith in the atoning work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what John was just, where, where did he go? John Sellers, there you are. That's what he was just talking about. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon was wise and he wrote down his wisdom, this wisdom that God had given him. 1 Kings 4.32 says he also spoke 3,000 Proverbs. Now in the book of Proverbs, we only have a few hundred of those. But these are the ones that the Holy Spirit chose for us to meditate on, for us to learn from, for us to be uh, edified by. But what is a proverb anyway? What in the world are we talking about when we talk about a proverb? Is it just a pithy saying? Well, no. A proverb is a short sentence drawn from long experience. A short sentence drawn from long experience. Carpenters have a great one uh, that doesn't come from the Bible, but this is just by way of illustration. Uh, we all know this one, measure twice and cut once, right? I've had to learn that one over and over again, I'm embarrassed to say. Maybe I haven't learned it yet. The number of times I've had to cut twice because I measured once. And so as we look at this, this amazing book that is so full of these short sentences drawn from long experience, this, this wisdom, this wisdom uh, from God, uh, take a look at your handout. Uh, this handout here uh, that uh, came with your bulletin, I hope. Uh, what I've done here is I, I've laid out uh, the first nine chapters of, of Proverbs on this uh, front page. Uh, the first nine chapters are kind of the introduction to the Proverbs, a very long introduction. But this lays the groundwork for the fact that the, the foundation of wisdom is our fear of the Lord, is our worship of God, is our faith in Him. And, uh, and wisdom is what leads to life and folly. Uh, which is the rejection of God's wisdom, is what leads to death and destruction. And so uh, the first nine chapters of Proverbs is what lays all that out. And then when you turn the page, you've got this very long list of, of uh, subjects. Uh, this is a, a uh, uh, I did this the other day. It, it occurred to me I wanted to know what was in all of these Proverbs in, in, uh, in chapters 10 through 31. This is the, the, the bulk of the material here. Uh, there are Proverbs that are a single line, a single, um, a single uh, verse. Uh, there are Proverbs that, uh, that are multiple verses. There, there are couplets and triplets and so on. Uh, there are Proverbs that last for, for several uh, passages. But the bulk of them 
are one verse long, and it skips all over the place. You'll read one proverb about laziness, and then the next one will be about integrity, and the next one will be about hatred, and the next one will be about prudent speech. And so it seems like, as you go through this, that it's just very haphazard. Uh, but the fact is, is that there are uh, some groups of Proverbs that we can learn a lot from, and in weeks ahead, uh, we will, we will uh, take a look at those. Um, so what I've done here is in this, uh, in this chart is I've listed these things, not alphabetically, just to drive you crazy. Um, I've listed them in the order that they appeared in my own mind. Now, you can do with this list what you want. There's nothing inspired about this list. Uh, the categories you might want to change around. You might want to put verses in other categories yourself. But I did this so that we'd have a starting place, and so we'd get some idea of maybe what the emphasis is in the book of Proverbs. And if you'll notice, the biggest categories are about growing and receiving instruction and discipline. Another big category is about our integrity, in other words, our character, who, is, who it is that we are. And uh, let's see, there's another one here. Uh, another one, a big one, which I kind of lumped together, a lot of things, politics and government and power and human relations, they're all sort of interrelated. And so we've got several uh, groups of subjects, and these are the things that we're going to focus on in the weeks ahead uh, as we go through Proverbs. But our tendency, our, 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 our temptation as we read the Proverbs is to take them all absolutely. Some of them are meant to be absolute, but some of them are not. And I think a classic example of this is Proverbs 22.6. So go ahead and say this with me. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? We all know that one by heart, and boy, we do hope and wish that that is an absolute, right? That it's automatic, that if we train up a child in the way he should go, he'll be a believer, and he'll live for Christ, and he'll go to a Christian college, and everything will be great. That's what we want that to mean, but that isn't what it means. What this means is, this is really an emphasis on you as a parent, that if you want to be a wise parent, yes, you should train up a child in the way he should go because it's the truth. It's the truth, and you need to introduce your child to the truth. That's your job on this planet is to uh, be an evangelist for your child in the hope that someday he will receive Christ and follow the Lord. But, of course, we know in practice that that doesn't always happen. And so we pray for our children, we hope for them, and we strive to... Uh, to teach our children not only through our words, but also our actions. That's what that proverb is about. And so, also in Proverbs, we see a lot of observations just about life, without any real comment, just like the, the proverb about bribery. And then here's another one in Proverbs 18.7. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And so, in other words, life is kind of like watching a, an episode of Dateline. You know, where you got the, the really awful, horrendous crime that happens, and it, in the first half an hour or 40 minutes or so, the husband looks like he is innocent as the day is long, but then all of a sudden you find out the other side of the story, and you find out that he's guilty. 
And this is what life is like. Those are real life stories. This is, we, we've got to find, uh, we've got to, to be interested in both sides of the story. We need to understand things on a deeper level than just the superficial. And so this is the way life works. This is the way life is. But at the bottom line of all of this, that we, we need to remember that the book of Proverbs is poetry. It's wisdom poetry. And this is very, very powerful Hebrew poetry. And it comes in a way, it, it tells uh, its truths in a very concise way, in a way that has a great deal of impact. And it is impact that we lose as we translate it into English because we use a lot of connecting words that can soften the impact of the original Hebrew. For instance... Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Well, we, we get the idea of that, but listen to how much more it impacts you to hear it in, uh, somewhat like it would come across in Hebrew. It would, it, would hear, it would sound something like this. Wise son, glad father, but foolish son, sorrow his mother. You see, that's got so much more impact. It just kind of kicks you in the gut. And you see, you see that contrast so, so clearly. And you see, this is the, the, uh, a classic technique of the Proverbs. This is called juxtaposition, uh, where you're putting two contrasting things side by side and making a very clear de delineation between them so that you can very clearly understand the truth of the matter. And so, in this case, a wise son certainly gives gladness to his father and a foolish son brings nothing but sorrow to his father. Now, all of these sayings, as we, as we go into this book of Proverbs, all of these sayings were written by the wisest man who ever lived and who was a sinner just like you and me. But you know what? He wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that means that every single one of these sayings has something to teach us. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He was the, uh, the great pastor of the late 1800s over in England. And this is what he said about the Proverbs. But I must remind you that one greater than Solomon is here. For the Spirit of God inspired the Proverbs. They are not merely jewels from earthly mines, but they are also precious treasures from the heavenly hills. So that the advice we have here is not only the counsel of a wise man, but the advice of that incarnate wisdom who speaks to us out of the word of God. Would you become sons of wisdom? Come and sit at the feet of Solomon. Would you become spiritually wise? Come and hear what the Spirit of God has to say by the mouth of this wise man. Amen. And so let's sit at the feet of Solomon. Let's come and hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us as we begin our exploration of this incredible book of wisdom. So let's turn to our passage, passage uh, Proverbs chapter 1, the first seven verses. This begins the first part of Proverbs, the, the very long introduction of Proverbs. It sets the stage uh, for our understanding of all of the Proverbs that will follow. 
And the first thing that that, uh, we need to understand about verses 1 through 7 is what Solomon wants us to understand. And that is that if you want to learn to be wise, then fear God first. And he does this uh, in the following verses like this. In verses 2 through 4, he shows us the value of wisdom. And then in verses 5 and 6, he shows us the call to wisdom. And then finally, in verse 7, he shows us the source of wisdom. And so the big idea, the big idea of all of this is that for us to walk in wisdom, for us to walk in wisdom, uh, excuse me, to walk in in the way of wisdom, a means for us to follow Christ. And that's an imperative of us as believers. And so allow me to read uh, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. So let's take a look at uh, at the value of wisdom, first of all, in verses 2 through 4. Now Solomon tells us why he's writing in these, in these verses. He's writing uh, so that we can have knowledge about how to make uh, right choices in the myriad of, of strange circumstances and issues we find ourselves in this life. Uh, in other words, he wants us to have wisdom and instruction. Uh, he also wants us to have knowledge in verse 3 for how to live correctly in the fear of the Lord. In other words, to receive instruction in wise dealing. And why? So that those of us who take these sayings to heart are going to have the capacity to, well, to have a, an accurate and a deep understanding of life. This is the purpose of these Proverbs. He wants us to, to, to be able to learn discipline and, and how to deal wisely with the world, with righteous deeds, with justice, and with fairness. These are the underlying principles in Proverbs. R- righteous deeds and justice and fairness. In other words, in verse 4, Solomon is writing to the young. Often he refers to his sons uh, that he's writing to, as you, as you see, as you read uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, but he's also writing to anybody else who will listen. He wants us to have prudence. He wants us to have discretion in the practical affairs of life. Now, what is knowledge? Well, knowledge is the ability to acquire facts, right? How do we acquire facts these days? Well, we Google it, right? We Google it. And so we Google, how do I navigate life's problems? And we get a whole lot of really weird answers, I'm telling you. A lot of really strange answers from spiritual healers and intuitive guides and all sorts of strange philosophy. But none of the world wants us to have the wisdom of Proverbs. They want us to have their own wisdom. Now the answer that Proverbs gives to that question of how do I deal with the the issues of life is fear God and then you'll gain wisdom. It's a pretty simple answer. 
Now, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the ability to rightfully apply those facts. In other words, this can be a subjective thing sometimes. And as black and white Christians, sometimes that can make us uncomfortable. But you see, we need godly discretion. We need to learn the art of life based on our reverential fear of God, that reverential fear that guides us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Solomon, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, juxtaposes two choices for us. He juxtaposes them in, the, in, the, in light of a young man. He's envisioning a young man, maybe his sons, who's starting out in life. Or maybe anyone who is starting out on their quest for wisdom. And so he presents these two choices that we have. Wisdom or folly wisdom or foolishness and he personifies wisdom and folly as women wisdom is pictured as a woman who speaks from God's perspective a woman who is leading us uh, to life and insight as we as we hear what she has to say she says in Proverbs 9 6 leave your simple ways and live walk in the way of insight on the other hand folly is personified as a forbidden woman a woman who leads you to destruction. Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. Wormwood is the ultimate in bitterness. It is the exact opposite of righteousness and justice. This woman, this forbidden woman, is sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That means the place of the dead. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Some of us have followed folly, and we know all too well how true that is. And so, in life, we've got two ways that we can go we can follow wisdom or we can follow folly wisdom leads to life folly leads to destruction and so you see here in this juxtaposition we see very clearly the value of wisdom as opposed to folly the value of living in a way that is wise in God's eyes and so secondly, let's take a look at this call to wisdom that we see in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, we see that those who are called should hear and increase in learning. This is a call to be teachable, to learn from experience, uh, uh, learn from the experience of others, learn from our own experiences as well as the experiences of others. This is the process of sanctification that John was just talking about. We want to learn and grow in the Lord. What keeps us from learning and growing in the Lord? Well, it's just ourselves. It's nothing else. It's our own pride. It's our own pride. Proverbs says many, uh, refers to people many times over uh, who are wise in their own eyes. And this is what pride looks like in Proverbs 18:2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That sounds just like today, doesn't it? 
Everybody's running around, not just expressing their opinion, but trying to force it down everybody's throat. Christians included sometimes. We're all just yelling at each other. And it's because we're full of pride. Young people, here's what pride looks like for you. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despises his father's instructions. But then it goes on to tell you what humility looks like. But whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In other words, that's the smart thing to do. If you want to be foolish, go ahead and keep rejecting the wisdom of your parents. Now, this isn't to say that your parents are always right. Mine weren't and yours aren't either. But what it does mean is that as a godly son or daughter, we should, we should hear the wisdom in our parents' voices. We should heed their wisdom. You see, if you want to be wise, you need to learn from your parents. And no matter what age we are, we also need to learn from people who are more experienced and more mature. This is the importance of discipleship. This is the importance of your relationship with other people in this body. Uh, it's why we need to build relationships with each other is so that we can speak the gospel into each other's lives. It's so that we can, we can teach each other and share our experiences with God and, and the, the, uh, uh, the issues of life and how we deal with those things. We need each other. We are better together, right? Well, here's what being teachable looks like. Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 9, 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. That's who we need to be. We need to be people who are receptive to godly wisdom and are changed by godly wisdom. Because you see, being teachable uh, is not just for head knowledge. We can get that through Google, right? If we want to know how many giraffes there are in Arkansas, we can Google it and find out in seconds, right? We can find out a lot of things that way. We can know a lot of things about God. We can know a whole bunch of things about Him. But are we applying what we know to our lives? Or better still, are we, are we applying our lives to his truth? Because really, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are not conforming the image of Christ to us. And so we need to be receiving the truth of God and actually take hold of the wisdom of God and apply our own lives to it. You know, almost every week I, I get to have lunch with my dad. And we've done this for the last five years, ever since my mom died. And it's become an incredibly special thing for me. At first it was kind of awkward because I never really had that many one-on-one -on -one conversations with him. But as, as I've learned to love him even more and more and more than I ever have, I've learned so much about him, but I've also learned so much from him is he's talked about uh, how he dealt with his very, very difficult upbringing and how he's dealt with uh, various things in his life, both, both the good things and the, and the difficult things. And the wisdom that I've gained from him is immeasurable. 
And I think one of the greatest things is, is the wisdom of being thankful. Being thankful for the family I have. Being thankful that, that because of my dad's hard work, I didn't grow up in a shack like he did with no running water and electricity. Being thankful for the dad that he has been to me because his dad was a hard man. But my dad, somehow, by the wisdom of God, learned to love me and my brother in an incredible way. And I've come to appreciate that the more I have sat down with him and listened. You see, this is the value of wisdom that gives us life and blessing from God, but we're also called to wisdom. We're called to listen, to hear, to take in the word of God, to take in the advice and experience of those who might be more mature than us and be able to speak the truth into our lives. We need to be learning and growing. We need to be teachable. And so finally, let's take a look at the source of wisdom. This is one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which means wisdom here. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again here, we've got a juxtaposition, a juxtaposition between those who fear the Lord and those who despise the Lord, really, because that's what it means. Someone who despises wisdom and instruction, what is true wisdom? Where does true wisdom come from? It comes from God. If you're despising wisdom, you are rejecting God. And so there's this juxtaposition between this reverential fear of God. Well, what's reverential fear of God? It means, on the one hand, that we, we, we don't stand before our Maker. We bow before our Maker as the one who is our righteous judge. He is righteous and holy, and he rightly judges us according to our sin, and our sin condemns us. And so, yes, it is right for us to fear God in that sense. That's part of what drove us to him in the first place, is that realization that we needed him to forgive us. And so the other part of this reverential fear is a real gladness, a gladness and a joy that comes from the fact that he chose to have mercy on us. In the same way, I believe that he chose to have mercy on Solomon, even though, even though he turned against God in so many ways. But you and I do it all the time, right? We're constantly in that battle with our sinful nature. And so this is the reverential fear of God. It's, we look up to, to God, our Father, our perfect Father, not a worldly father like my dad had, who, had, uh, who was abusive in, in some ways uh, and, and was a difficult man. No, our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfectly uh, righteous. He is our perfect judge. And he is also uh, our means of salvation from his wrath. He has mercy on us. And so we have this incredible juxtaposition between revering God and fearing God and receiving his wisdom and the folly of rejecting him. Those of us who receive wisdom have a foundation for life. Those of us who despise wisdom are fools and we have absolutely no foundation. 
None at all. And so, as Solomon is pressing us on toward this idea that if we want to live wisely, we need to know God. If you don't know God, you have no way of living truly wisely. And that brings us to our big idea. To walk in the way of wisdom means to follow Christ. To walk in the way of wisdom means to follow Christ. Not just in the, the big ticket items uh, of, of morality, of, of, well, you know, um, I shouldn't rob a bank tomorrow. I shouldn't kill my neighbor. Not just in those kinds of things, but even, even in the tiny details of life. God wants us to, to live wisely. He wants us to live with, with skill, just like a skillful craftsman. He wants us to be able to navigate through the strange issues of this world in a godly way. But you know what? Sometimes it just feels like all we can do is, is feel our way, right? Because there are questions in this life that we can't look up in a concordance and find the answers to in a quick way. Years ago, uh, Leslie and I and our family, we had a motorboat. And we would go down to the Northern Neck, which is down at the mouth of the Rappahannock River. And it's absolutely gorgeous down there. We'd rent a cottage right on the water and we'd take our boat out on the river. And it was, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. And so one evening we decided, you know what, let's, let's go out and watch the sunset over the river. So we went out there, went out there a mile or so and, and out right out in the middle of things and we watched the sunset and it was glorious. It was one of the most phenomenal views I've ever seen. But you know what? Here's the thing about sunsets. The sun sets and it gets dark and it gets dark really fast. And ours was a pretty basic boat. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have a big headlight and all that kind of thing. But it got pitch dark and everything was still the water was flat and the river's a couple miles wide there and so we're kind of talking to each other of you know how in the world do we get back to where we started you know how do we get to the cottage well here's how we did it this wasn't our first time out in the boat this wasn't our first time out on that part of the river we'd been out many times before and so we knew what the shoreline looked like we had looked at maps. We knew the shape of things. We were familiar with the landmarks. And so as we peered into the darkness, we could see very vaguely the shore and a light over here and maybe one over there because it it's a very rural place. There's not many people there. And so by, by kind of triangulating between this buoy and that light and that shape of that, that house over there and the tree over there, we were able to figure out how to get back in our little inlet and back, back to our dock and get, get back for dinner. But you see, I think that's, that's a lot like knowing Christ in this world. We walk in a world of darkness, don't we? We walk, walk in a world of a lot of uncertainties and a lot of complexities. And so knowing Christ is like knowing where that shoreline is, right? And knowing Christ helps us to make out the landmarks of our lives, the landmarks that, that God has set for us to, to be guided by. 
And we can make out those landmarks because we, we know our scripture and because we've read books like the Proverbs. But ultimately, we know these things because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our understanding because our faith is in Jesus Christ. And so as we peer into the darkness and the confusion that can surround us in our lives, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? It's the only way that we can make good decisions. You see, that's what Proverbs is all about. And this is why in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, understanding the will of the Lord is wisdom. Being foolish is ignoring the will of God. So how do, we, how do we understand God's will? How do we know whether it's, it's good for our teenager to have a smartphone right now? How do we know how to handle that situation at work? You see, brothers and sisters, the only way that we can walk wisely or have any understanding between what's right and what's wrong, between what's good and bad and better and best, the only way that we can understand the difference between a friend and an enemy, the only way that we can understand what hope is, the only way that we can understand how to deal with our anger or somebody else's anger, the only way that we can understand how to navigate the consequences of our actions and attitudes, the only way that we can understand the blessing of kindness, the difference between God's plans and our plans, the only way that we can understand how to be a godly parent or a godly son or a godly daughter or how to bring peace or how to discern anything is to understand where the beginning is, where the root of it all is where the foundation of wisdom is, and that is in God himself. And we can only avail ourselves of that wisdom through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that means that, that our relationship with Christ filters everything. We cannot ever take a break from life. We cannot ever take a break from following Christ through our lives. There can never be a situation where we just throw up our hands and do what's ungodly because we have no excuse. We know Christ. Paul teaches us even that Christ is the wisdom of God. This is the passage that Conrad read earlier. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is what I love about the, the picture that's on the front of your bulletin. And it's up here on the screen. I love this. This is a sketch by Rembrandt in the 1600s. It's a picture of Christ walking with his disciples. He's walking down the road with his disciples and, and they're each bending his ear and listening. And this is really the way that we should picture ourselves in life walking along the way with our Lord listening to him learning wisdom from him learning wisdom as we read his word 
learning wisdom as we read all 66 of the Bible because it's all about him. It's not that we can ever match the wisdom of God. It's that because of our faith in Christ, our reverential fear, we can live with the skill of a craftsman. We can learn to be as skillful at life as a craftsman is in his trade. And that comes when we submit our attitudes and our behavior to God so that as we encounter life, we navigate its challenges by the rudder of our reverential fear of God, which of course is steered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and then we'll go to the communion table.